Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Rob Dalrymple, the pastor here at Northminster. It's good to see you all this morning. We want to let you know that we had a wonderful Barbecue and auction last night, about $8,000 was raised for camperships and everything else. Um, and we also have a word, by the way, if you're interested in the Lonza dinner, Martin's opening it up to more people. So if you're interested in that, see Stacy, uh, Luby, Stacy, wave your hand in case I don't know who you are. There you go. Uh, um, over in the fellowship hall afterwards. So here's my question this morning. How many of you are ministers of the gospel? How many of you are ministers of the gospel? So here's what we're going to do this morning. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, Let's start with the first part. Same slide, James. Um, Note four things. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You are a. You are a. You are a. And you are a people for God's own possession. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. Think of it, a chosen race. That makes us a select people of God, a, a, a nationality, if you want to call it that. Now, mind you, the nationality would have meant Israel back in the Old Testament, but notice in the New Testament, he's he's calling us all a chosen race. But you're royalty. You're a royal priesthood. Jim. You're super Nicky Purple. Super Nicky Purple. Thank you, Jim. Uh, There you go. So a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're also a holy nation. And you're a people for... God's own possessions. Here's what we're going to do now. We're going to, uh, this, this, uh, this uh, front, my front left, you're going to be chosen race. Back left, you're going to be royal priesthood. Back right, you're going to be a holy nation. Front right, you're going to be a people for God's own possessions. So here we go. Ready? You are a, you are a, you are a, you are a, God's own possession. All right, let's go to the next slide now and see how well we can do. All right. You are a, Chosen race. You are a. You are a. Holy nation. You are a. People for God's own possession. Okay. Who can do it? Who can do that part? One of the kids can do it. I know, huh? You are a. Chosen race. Royal priesthood. Holy nation. A people for God's own possession. Stop for a second, by the way, because I could preach right now. Uh, and like, yeah, whatever. Um, just think about what that means. We are these things in Christ. Now, the next slide, don't go there yet, just yet, uh, James, if you will. But the next slide, of course, is going to say, so that you can sit on your laurels and rest contented. Right? That's what it says, right? You are these things so you can have peace knowing that you're going to go to heaven when you die, even though the world's going to pot. You're these things which makes you better than everybody else. 
were these things, next slide, so that, and this is one of the reasons why I like the New American Standard here, the NIV says that, uh, and, some, and some translations say that, some say so that, the Greek is emphatic, it says so that, and the word so that in Greek, it's one word, uh, is a purpose statement, it means this is the purpose you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that, say it with me, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that we may proclaim. Proclaim what? The excellencies. I, I, I think the NIV says the goodness, and that's, really, that's, that's kind of cool as well, right? The greatness of our God, some translations might say. So we can proclaim the excellencies of Him who did what? Called us out of darkness and into light so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Let's go to the next slide now. Let's blank out the, 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 the second part. So that uh, uh, you may proclaim... Uh, uh, let's fill in the blanks. Ready? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who into His marvelous light. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that, by the way, one of the ways I learn to memorize things is I'll say things like, so that, and now it, it, it comes to me. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now these guys behind me don't get to see the screen, so can you guys do it? No, here we go, all right, here we go. Uh, here, look at my screen. Here we go. All right, let's, uh, let's try it together. Uh, this side's going to say chosen race. This side's going to say royal, royal priesthood. This side's going to say holy nation. This side's going to say a people for God's own possession. All right, and then let me make sure I know what this next blanks are. You're going to say proclaim. You're going to say excellencies. You guys got this? You're good, right? Here we go. Um, uh, you guys are going to say darkness, and you guys are going to say light. All right, here we go. You are a... You are a... Holy nation. It's own possession. So that you may claim the... Of him who called us out of dark into his marvelous light. All right, now, we have something for the kids, right? Okay, so any of you kids that have learned this... When you go to junior church, Courtney's going to give you something special. Uh, uh, if you can, and you can practice it with them or whatever. Make, make sure everybody gets the treat, whatever it might be. You guys that are adults, you get nothing. <laughs> Just want you to know, you simply get the obligation of learning this verse. Who can say it without looking at the screen? What are we? Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for God's own possession, so that... Proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you have your Bibles, oh, I was in, James, I was in, and then it kicked me out. Try it one more time. If you have your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. This is the best I can do, which means I can't, I can't see the next slide. That's okay. Yep. Um, uh, Luke, chapter 9. We're going to be in Luke 9, Luke 10, and Luke 22. It's page 733 in your pew Bibles. And uh, let's get rolling. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. And it's going to sound like blasphemy, so listen to me carefully and let me finish. Um, but here's the statement that sounds blasphemous. Jesus didn't finish the job. 
sounds radically blasphemous. And it is blasphemous if we say that the job was dying and atoning for our sins. Then that would be blasphemous. And that's not what I mean. What I mean is that the job, the job of God's people, the job of Adam, the job of Abraham, the job of Isaac, and Moses, and all the Israelites, the job of the church today, the job that Jesus began is the job of making God known to the nations. And Jesus didn't finish that job. In fact, if you read the Gospels carefully, you'll notice that once the Gentiles in the Gospel of John start coming to Jesus, Jesus tells the disciples, it's time for me to die. Because the Gentiles are ready, Gentiles means non-Jews. The people that aren't Israelites, they're waiting to hear the Gospel now, and you have to go to them. So Luke chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. By chapter 9, as I mentioned earlier, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is already sending out the disciples. Now the word disciples can refer to a large group of people. There's, Jesus had hundreds and hundreds of disciples. But oftentimes, the disciples refers to the twelve. Out of the hundreds of followers of Jesus, he had twelve that we often call apostles, or the twelve. And here he's sending out the twelve disciples. Now twelve is an important number in the Bible. It often refers to the people of God, the twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve apostles in the New Testament. So here we see Jesus sending the people of Israel, the Israelites, I'm sending you out. Go out. And here's what I want you to do. I'm giving you power and authority. So the first point is, uh, fill in the blank. And I'm sorry, but I can't see my slides the way it is, so I'm hoping I'm on the right one. If I'm not on the right one, wave your hand and let me know, and maybe I'll have James take over as well. But the first uh, fill in the blank is, the 12 disciples now begin uh, to engage in the work with Jesus. The 12 disciples now begin to engage in the work with Jesus. But the next thing to notice, of course, is that Jesus didn't just send them out. He sent them out with power and authority. I'm giving you power and authority to drive out demons, cure evil diseases, and to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Let's continue on. Verse 9. I'm oh, sorry, verse 3. He told them, take what, nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village. Proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Jesus gives the disciples these instructions. And I want you to notice the instructions carefully here. He, he tells them at the beginning, here's what I want you to do. Don't take any provisions. Uh, if you're going to a house and that house welcomes you, stay in that house until you leave the town. And then thirdly, if you're not welcome, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. The idea is that the disciples are going to go out, you know, Jesus is still going to be there. He hasn't left. And it's relatively peaceful. Think about it. At the time of Jesus' ministry, the people loved Jesus. I mean, he feeds 5,000 of them. He, he raises somebody's daughter from the dead. He, he heals somebody else who is blind. And, 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 he, and he teaches nice things. He's well received. You don't have to worry about it. As you guys go out, don't take any provisions. It'll be okay. When you go to a house and they welcome you, stay there. If the next house has nicer accommodations, you don't get to leave and go to that house and shame the first family. If you go to the third house and they're a better cook, sorry, you're stuck at the first house. Stay, no, don't bring shame on anybody. Now, if they don't receive you, and note, by the way, the religious leaders are the ones who don't receive him. 
Because the religious leaders don't like the gospel Jesus is proclaiming because the gospel says, repent, and their answer is, I don't need to repent. Those people do, but I don't. So if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet. That was an ancient Israelite way of saying, this is an unclean city. It was often used for the Gentiles. When you go to a Gentile village and city, shake the dust off your feet because it's an unclean village. You don't want to take the uncleanness of that village with you as you go. And note, those who do not accept Jesus are to be regarded as Gentiles. Shake the dust off your feet and go on to the next village. Let's continue on. Chapter 10, verse 1. Make sure I have the right slide. There we go. Chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And some Bibles might say 70, uh, nonetheless. Uh, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, now of course, he sent 72 or 70 others. Uh, the number 70 or 72 is used in the scriptures in the book of Genesis chapter 10 to refer to the nations. I'm sending out the 12 as, as symbolic of, of, of representing Israel, and if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet and treat them like Gentiles. But now I'm sending the 70 out. And note, 70 others means the 12 are not included in this group. It's a different group from the 12. You guys go out. Uh, a symbol, symbolic of going out to the nations. Right? And, here's, a, and here's, here's the key, and that is this. Um, uh, 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 same instructions. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I can't see my slides. Is that my right? All right. Take no provisions. Um, if uh, I'm, I'm going to skip that because I want to go to this one here. Here we go. That's the one I was at. There you go. That's the one I wanted. Sorry. Um, here's the here's the next fill in the blank. The mission of God occurs in the context of prayer uh, and God's sovereignty. Do you want to take over, James? Because I'm going to be clumsy like this because I can't. My interface isn't working. Uh, and I'm on slide number 13. Thank you. All right. So you got it. I'm going to turn my phone off. I apologize here. If you're listening online and it sounds clumsy, it is clumsy. Um, here we go. The next fill in the blank is this. The mission of, of, of God's people occurs in the context of prayer and God's sovereignty. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. The mission that we're called to needs to take place with, with prayer and God's sovereignty. Let's continue on. Verse 4. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace be to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Verse 7. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Note, of course, that this is very similar to what we saw in chapter 9. The difference in nine was the 12 were out, now, now it's the 70, the 72 out. In the same cases, don't take purse or bag or shoes. God's going to provide for you. Everything's going to be great. And when you go out and heal somebody, note what he says. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is, of course, the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in the Old Testament. I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to send you out to the nations, and if they bless you, I will bless them. And note verse 16, by the way. Uh, next slide, James says, Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. 
I'm sending you out to fulfill the promise of God, of God to Abraham to bless the nations. If they receive you, they're receiving me. If they don't receive you, they're not receiving me. Now we're going to turn, don't bring the next slide up just yet though, James, but now we're going to turn to Luke 22. Uh, I'm not sure what page it's on in your Bibles, but just a few chapters over. Keep going on. All right, and here's the situation in Luke chapter 22. Now, chapter 9, he sends the 12 out. Don't take any provisions. Chapter 10, he sends the 70 out. Don't take any provisions. Chapter 22. First thing that happens in Luke 22 is Jesus gives the Last Supper. It's the night before he's going to be crucified. He tells the disciples, this is my body broken for you. This is, this is the blood of the new covenant. Uh, uh, you know, uh, as you do these things, do this in remembrance of me. What's interesting is that the very next verse says, a dispute arose among the disciples as to who was the greatest. I find that hilarious. Jesus says, look, I'm going to go die for you. I'm better than you. I'm sorry to hear that, Jesus, but I'm totally better than you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. This is my body broken for you. <laughs> Excuse me, Jesus, I'm sorry about this pitiful, pitiful moment you're having here, but look, I'm clearly better than you. And he goes on to tell his disciples, look, the kings of the Gentiles, they argue about who's greater and who's not greater. They, the way they do business is they lord over those in authority, but it's not going to be that way with you. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. I'm sending you out as kings. I'm giving you a kingdom. All right, now let's pick it up in verse 28. And he says to the disciples, You are those who stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom. Right? You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen, a people for God's own possession. You are a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now look at verse 31. Simon, Simon, that's Peter. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny three times that you know me. I'm giving you a kingdom. I'm sending you out on a mission. And here's the reality of this mission. Satan is going to radically oppose this mission. Next slide. It says, their mission will be opposed by Satan. It was easy in chapter 9. It was easy in chapter 10. It's not going to be easy now. Now, I find this interesting, by the way. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I didn't give him permission to do that. It's not what it says. You would think that if Jesus knows that Satan is asked to sift Peter like wheat, and by the way, the word you is actually plural. It's not just Peter. It's all the disciples. You would think that if Jesus knew that Satan had asked that, that he'd say, ah, sorry, not granted, can't touch them. But that's not what it says. It goes on to say that after you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. You're going to give it, oh, Lord, I'll die for you. You're going to deny that you even know me three times in a few hours. That's the work of the devil. But after you realize what you've done, repent and then strengthen your brothers. Because I have a mission for you to do. Now look at verse 35. Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now, if you have a purse, take it. And also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, He was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that, this must be fulfilled in me. 
Yes, what was written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciple said, See, Lord, here are two swords. He says, That's enough. And he replied. Now, as a side note, by the way, we don't know what Jesus means by that's enough. Was he, was he exasperated? It, it appears the disciples have taken him literally when he says, By a sword. I personally don't think he meant it literally. Because he says, Sell your cloak. You can't live without a cloak. Your, your cloak is not just your outer jacket, it's your bedding at night. In Bethlehem, Jerusalem, is 3,000 feet in elevation. It gets really cold. I don't think he meant literally sell your jacket and buy a sword. We got two of them right here. Oh, that's enough. By the way, in a few verses, Peter's going to use one of those swords and hack off a servant's ear, isn't he? What's Jesus going to do with the ear? He's going to heal it. I don't want you using a sword. I'm using, I think Jesus is using hyperbole. It's an exaggeration to make a point. In other words, when I sent you off in chapter 9, it was easy, right? When I sent you off in chapter 10, it was easy. You didn't need a purse or a bag or, or, or anything else. You just stayed. It's not going to be that way anymore. Because your mission is going to be opposed by the devil. The next slide says they will face hostility and turmoil in their mission. And they need to know this. Well, how do we apply this to our lives today? Well, here's the reality. The gospel that we are called to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of, into his marvelous light. That's our mission. The mission begins by simply the proclamation, Jesus is Lord, and that's the problem. Because the world has plenty of its own lords, and they're not always going to like it. The gospel of Jesus offers peace and life and hope. It, it makes sense of the world and all the misery that's in it. And God's doing something about all the misery that's in it. But now they're going to find opposition. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. It sounds like a really cute little metaphor, but think about it carefully. Sheep among wolves. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. Mission takes place in prayer and God's sovereignty. Now let me give you three reasons why I think we don't go out. Number one, I think we don't go out because we didn't know that we were supposed to. I think a lot of Christians have an understanding that, well, it's a good thing to tell people about Jesus, but I'm not supposed to. I don't have to. My job is to be a Christian and to be a good one, uh, you know, to be faithful and to, to be righteous and holy and don't do that and don't do that and do do this. And that's not what it says. Those are all good things. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Guess what? Our, our task, our call, is to go out and make disciples of all nations. Number two, we believe it's the pastor's job or the missionary's job. How many of you are ministers of the, of the gospel? The answer is, well, you know, um, uh, I, I know Pastor Rob is and I know Courtney is, but I don't think I am. Sorry, it didn't say, to the pastors in the church and whatever I'm writing to, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you can... No, it's to the church is that Peter is writing to, you all are these things so that you may proclaim it. We all have a missional responsibility. 
If you think about it, the gospel, by the way, is most often received by people that are in, in, in absolute desperate, dire situations. And oftentimes, those people in desperate, dire situations, pastors don't often run into them. My job is often here amongst you and in this community and reaching out here and there and there. But I don't often go and I'm not often in the places where the people who need Jesus the most, you guys are often there. So it's not just my job, it's our job. Number three, I think we're afraid. I think we're afraid. It's true, by the way. I was, I was out at the golf course practicing the other afternoon. Uh, and uh, I saw a guy as I was walking from the practice facility back to my car. And as I was walking to my car, I saw a guy that I had seen before. And I knew I had seen him and maybe even talked with him a couple times. I thought, okay. Um, you know, and the Lord's like, Rob, talk with him. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to. And he's like, Rob, talk with him. I'm like, Lord, I'm afraid. I don't want to talk with this guy. And so I get to my Jeep. I'm like, all right, Lord, I get it. I said, give me a divine appointment. Now, the problem is this. My, Jeep, my, my vehicle is here, and the exit was to the right, and he's to my left. So I thought, well, I could back up and, you know, kind of back up a little extra far. That would be kind of awkward. So I thought, all right, Lord, I'll, I'll back up and go to the left and kind of go around and go, out the, and go out that way. So I drive by, and he sees me, and he remembered that we had talked before. Hey, hey how's it going? And he comes right up, to, right up to my Jeep, and we had this divine appointment. But I'll be honest with you. I didn't really want to do it at that moment. I was nervous. I was anxious. I was unsure. I was, I was what am I going to say to this guy? So it's, it's human nature. We're afraid. We're afraid because sometimes we worry what people will think of me. We're afraid because sometimes we think, I don't know what to say. Or if they ask me a question, I don't know how to answer them. I might make a fool of myself. I don't have the time. I can't afford to. Uh, I, I'm not going to invite anybody over. My house is a mess. We're afraid. And here's my question. If God has called us into the mission field, do we believe that he's going to equip us? Do we believe that God's going to help overcome our fears, our insecurities? Do we believe that God's going to help us with the words to say at that moment? And the words to say at that moment, by the way, might very well be, I don't know the answer to your question. Give me your number. I'll find out, and I'll get back in touch with you. So, yes, it's true. We're often afraid. Now, I would encourage you, by the way, when you go out and meet people, uh, um, it doesn't mean that we have to tell them about Jesus right then and there in that spot. It doesn't mean that they have to believe everything I believe. The best thing that we can do is simply build relationships with them. Just go out and meet people and build relationships with them. Earn their trust. And if we earn their trust, they'll often listen to our words. So let me give us several ways I think we can be more missional in our neighborhood. How to be more missional, meaning proclaiming the gospel, being, being, you know, being out there in person. Number one, Take more frequent walks in your neighborhood and pray for every house. You don't have to talk to anybody or do anything. Now, there might be somebody out in their front lawn and you might engage in a conversation. And they might see you prayer walking one day and not say anything, but the next day they see you or the next week they see you and they might engage in a conversation. And guess what? You're just building a relationship. All you're doing is taking a walk and praying for every house you walk by. And if you see a child out there, pray for the child. If you see an older person out there, pray for the older person. Just take walks in the neighborhood and pray for them. How about secondly, have a Memorial Day, Labor Day, summer bar, some reason to invite others and share. Have a Super Bowl party, which I can't do because my favorite team's always playing in the game and I've got to watch the game. But you guys can probably, walk, can probably have a, a Super Bowl party, right? All right. Um, find a reason to have people over, to have an event, ha, you know, have a community pick. Hey, you know, we're going to barbecue on Labor Day weekend and, and, and we're going to do it in my front yard. Everybody feel free to bring, some, bring something over. 
And if you got a pool, hey, we're going to open up the pool for the kids and, and invite people over. Have a reason to get connected in your neighborhood. Number three, plant a garden and give produce to your neighbors. Plant a garden and plant extra, more than you can eat. Even if it's not more than you can eat, take from your own table and give it, have an excuse. Hey, look, I had these extra tomatoes in my garden. I thought you might want them. And that's it. Just building trust, building relationships uh, with people. Number four, give out extra candy at Halloween. Okay. This one hit me. I used to hate Halloween. I had this uh, a pious, overly righteous uh, uh, conviction that Halloween was not something that the church should be part of. And I have never in my whole entire life, by the way, actually my daughter's not here this morning, so I don't have to hear her grumble. Um, uh, I've never let my kids go trick-or-treating. So we used to go out on Halloween night. We'd go out to, to a movie. We'd go out somewhere so I didn't have to give out candy. And then I realized, you know what? I've got kids knocking on my door. They're coming to my house. And I've got an opportunity to be a really cool neighbor. So they came over, and I would just give them a handful of candy. Because guess what? Everybody else is giving them candy, too. But only some people are giving them a handful of candy. And the kids are going to go, I like that guy. I like his house. You see, I'm just building trust. My wife's like, why are you giving them so much candy? I'm like, because they want it, and they like it. So now, and... and on a pastor's salary, and, and you girls, and, if they come knocking at my door selling Girl Scout cookies, I buy them. If they come knocking at my door for Teen Challenge, I support it. Right? Be that neighbor that's neighborly and realize that you're actually just building, you're building a rapport. They like you. They respect you um, because we simply stick out and stand out for them. Right, how about ways to be missional at, at, at work? Number one, eat lunch with others. Eat lunch with others. And include that person that nobody else will eat lunch with. Include the custodial workers. The people that, that are often not even thought about as co-workers. Number two, how about go to work early and pray for your co-workers. Again, none of this involves telling them the gospel, sharing them with Jesus, just, just being Jesus to them. Praying for them. Number three, bring snacks to share. This is something very difficult for me. Um, uh, but uh, again, just bring some snacks and share it with everybody. And make sure the person who's always isolated because no one really likes that person, make sure they get some too. Number four, organize a walking group during lunch. Number five, carpool with those who live near you. Now you're in a car together. Number six, send encouraging notes. Maybe somebody's out of work for a period of time. Send them a note. Maybe visit them if they're sick. Bring them a meal. Be, let's put it this way, be the coworker or the neighbor so that when you leave, they miss you. Are we, a way to know if we're being missional is this, if I move out of my neighborhood, is my neighborhood going to miss me? If I leave my job and go somewhere else, are my coworkers going to be disappointed? If they're not, then let's figure out ways to be more missional and practical in our community. When you go out to lunch, learn your waiter's name or your waitress's name. And if you're sitting there praying before a meal, they now know you believe that you're a Christian. Give them a good tip. Give them a good tip. Uh, you may have heard the statistic that Sunday afternoons is actually the worst tipping time in America. Because Christians think we're supposed to be such good stewards of our finances that we're cheap. But we send a message to the waiter or waitresses who often work at very difficult, challenging, demanding jobs for low pay. 
but they saw you pray. They saw you having a Bible study at, at Denny's at six, you know, or 24th Street Cafe at, at 7 o'clock in the morning with a Bible out on the table and talking about Jesus. And so give them a good tip. One last thought, and that's this. Actually, two last thoughts. Number one is, don't make the mistake of making missional another way of adding something to your schedule. Instead, make your ex existing schedule missional. Let me say it. Don't, I'm not adding things to your schedule. I'm simply saying, take the schedule you already have and be missionally minded in it. You already go to work. You already eat lunch. Just eat lunch with others. Now, maybe you go to work a few minutes earlier. That's fine. And you pray for all your coworkers. Maybe you're going to take walks, but you need to take walks because it's good for all of us. So don't necessarily make the mistake of making missional another thing to add to your schedule, but make your existing schedule missional. Right? And here's the next thing, and that's this. We often get in positions and places that we get really, really frustrated. For me, it's traffic. All right? I love Bakersfield. All right? Because there ain't no traffic down here like the Bay Area. I, I, I want to get things done. I'm not, I got this and this and this and this. I move quickly. I get a lot done. And when I'm sitting in traffic, I can't do anything. And I get irritated to the core. Right? When you get in those positions that you're not happy, maybe you're sick and you're in a hospital, which would be torture for me because I really can't do anything now when I'm strapped down here. Right? When you get in that position, that place that you're not happy, you're not content, simply ask yourself this question. Where does God have me today? Maybe God put you in that position today for a reason. Maybe there's a doctor or a nurse that would not have known or heard about Jesus today unless he put, God put you in that hospital. Maybe you're stuck in that line because somebody needs you to be the kind, compassionate person, even though I'm really irritated being stuck in this line, and I'm wondering why they haven't opened up another check stand yet. So that's me. But where does God have me today? And then here's the last thought, and that's this. Why does he have me here? Where does God have me today? And but why does he have me here? Maybe God has me here at this moment. I need to stop and say, oh yeah, okay, Lord. I don't want to talk to that guy, but I know you want me to. So give me a divine moment. Let me pray. Father, we come to you this morning. And we're challenged by the gospel of Jesus. First, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus. <coughs> we thank you that this gospel has saved us. Sinners in need of a savior. If it's not for the grace of God, we have no clue, some of us, where we would be. And others of us know exactly where we'd be because we've been there. And you've rescued us. But you called us to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that we may proclaim your excellencies. You, the one who called us out of darkness and into light, we can proclaim you, the goodness, the greatness of our God. But we're afraid. Sometimes we feel unequipped. So help us to get equipped. Sometimes we feel like, well, I'm an introvert. Well, Lord, make us extroverts. In that moment, whatever it might be, sometimes we just forget or lose sight of our task and our calling and we missed that missional opportunity. Lord, open our eyes that we may see so that the kingdom of God may come, whether it's giving a sandwich to someone who's hungry, whether it's giving a, a handshake to someone who just needed someone to acknowledge them today. Maybe it's a kind word to the person in the office that nobody seems to like or respect. And maybe that can just break down walls and barriers. They just needed someone to love them. Help us to be your agents, for your kingdom, for good, 
for justice, for righteousness, for mercy, and for love's sake. We thank you for these things now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.